You're listening to the Start Today podcast. This is episode 15 on education and how it relates to manhood, part one, with special guest Jesse. All right. I would like to informally introduce our guest, Jesse. Hello. How are you today? I'm well. Thank God. Good. That's good to hear. Mike is not here today. He had family, familial obligations elsewhere. So everyone say, what's up, Mike? Yeah, shout out to Mike. Uh, But today, I think we kind of already did do an episode on manhood, masculinity, however you want to want to phrase it. But I think we're going to delve into um, some deeper stuff today. Right. I hope to. Yeah. And especially, you know, both of us, we seem to have a lot of friends in education, higher ed, and there's a lot of confusion. I don't know if it's hyped up media for, you know, numbers reasons, or if it's legitimately like a hysteria that's going on in K-12 and higher ed, but it seems to be that one way or the other, the rigor, the foundation, the philosophy, the theory, all that has been gone or stripped. I don't know about just gone. It doesn't just go anywhere. It's, it has to be intentional. Right. You know, one thing is uh, G.K. Chesterton, who's a really popular Catholic author that I'm, I'm sure a lot of your audience recognizes. He said that uh, the problem with education is people can agree that everybody wants more education. Everybody wants more of that. But, but uh, nobody can agree on what that is. Right. Education and what? And if you don't have a direction, if you don't, if you don't have a destination, then it's like, it's like a rudderless ship. So yeah, it should be no surprise. Education is in the state it is in. Yeah. So what, um, when we've talked about having you on before, it's kind of hard to hone in because you're a, uh, a guy who likes many things. Right. So we pretty much left it up to you to find the topic. <laughs> and so what, where, where do you want to start with this? Like, what what is the overall theme of your um, position, I guess? Okay, so so basically it is that um, <clears throat> education, uh, I'm, I'm writing a thesis, uh, you know, um, uh, coming out sometime soon. I'm writing a thesis on education in manhood or an education on manhood. And the idea is that essentially uh, overarching my thesis is that Manhood is something that does not come innately. And there's a distinction between men and women, which is maybe an idea that's not very popular in our time. But right. but um, the idea that there are certain things about womanhood that are unavoidable, that are inevitable. You don't have to be initiated into the tribe of woman because there's some things that happen naturally to women that let you know that you are... Uh, that you, that you are a woman, you're no longer a young a young girl. Like so, so, so sure. specifically in, in puberty, things happen. Obviously, you have a, you have a monthly cycle, and then as you become an adult, and uh, you get married, ideally, hopefully, and you have children, um, you engage in a life or death contest. Like that is it. You are, you are actually engaging in a life or death conquest, and if you succeed, then you bring life into the world. Like that's yeah. something that's not built into masculinity. I'm not the first person to talk about this. Like, you know, Joseph Campbell uh, famously is a hero of a thousand faces. I mean, this is what is the, the monomyth, the idea that, that a man has to constantly like a man has to constantly demonstrate himself to be a man. So in other words, uh, in short, 
we actually don't have it innately in us. That's right, man. That's right. But women have it innately in them to be women. Absolutely. And this is like, uh, this is why you see, you know, tribes in the world throughout. There's an initiation for men, you know, talking about like, like, like tribes, like, you know, I guess like I, I hesitate to say primitive. I don't, because I don't like to condescend to the past, but I mean, where you still have a, a very clear delineation between what it means to be a man and a woman. You have You're talking about like going out and experiencing nature, the brutality of what nature really is, or some sort of ritual. Like who is it? Is it South American Amazonians? Is that how you would say they are? They like stick their, they take hallucinogenic drugs and they stick their hand full of these ants. Oh yeah. The, the bullet ants, those the uh, bullet ants. ants. Yeah, like it, those is mix. that what you're referring to? Yes. That kind of thing? Yes. Right. Or even, you know, in our continent, <clears throat> in native Americans, you have things like the Sundance or, you know, very spirit quests or sweat lodges, you know, things that require you to uh, experience what it would be like to die and, and maybe take, maybe even risk death um, and then come back from it. And now you're initiated into manhood. Hmm. So, you know, men don't have that built in. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, education is something that um, is necessary for young men because it, it doesn't it doesn't well let me back up a little bit women also of course need to be need an education but for men men have to be two different things um, because I mean not only just that we are uh, XY and women are XX you know like our, our sex chromosomes but uh, but men have to be two men have to be two things uh, whereas so um, if you don't mind, just t- just want to launch directly into yeah yeah. So Please. so so my thesis discusses this, and then and then at the end, um, it's gonna it's going to come back to um, Orthodox Christianity. Of course, I'm an Orthodox Christian, uh, and so it's it's my view that education itself is insufficient without uh, without the amendment of Orthodox Christianity making us fully human. But um, but specifically, like so, take for example um, the Odyssey, which is in in the Western canon. Um, Sadly, not read uh, the way it ought to be anymore. Maybe not read as much as it once was. But um, are, have you have you ever read the Odyssey? I want to say yes, but obviously not enough to have memorized it or did anything significant yeah. with it. Well, you know, it's it's com- uh, I think it's compulsory reading. Um, Maybe eleventh grade. Schools. I, it's probably different grade. every school. Yeah, yeah. like um, my school, it's ninth grade. Ninth grade. But um, it's usually just excerpts. There's a lot of stuff in, in the Odyssey that's kind of too hot for TV. You, can't really t- you know, Odysseus gets himself into some interesting entanglements that maybe uh, maybe like 14-year-olds shouldn't really read about. But right. <laughs> but but like the, the premise overall of the Odyssey is, uh, and it's significant to us because it's Odysseus. He's going, he's been away at war for 20 years. Or, or well, yeah, he's been away at war for 10 years. The Trojan War was 10 years. And then on his way home, because he angered the gods, he got knocked off course. So he spends the the next decade just getting from Troy, uh, from Ilium, back to Ithaca, which, if you look at the map, you know it's a very short distance. But he's blown way off course. It's it's kind of like the um, you know the Israelites wandering the yeah. desert for forty years. That's what I was I was thinking too. Because I, without getting into too deeply, I think that isn't that one of the. Um, one of the refutations of Christianity and Judaism is that there are millions of these stories that parallel what the scriptures say. I'm sure you've delved into it, but yeah. I would think that would be one that they would immediately point to. Well, you know, there are many, there are many, we find similarities throughout the world, um, uh, world literature. And this is often used, especially, you know, 
after the movie The Zeitgeist. I think I think with YouTube and the internet, this kind of thing exploded. Yeah. And these are old heresies. And, and the tragedy really is that um, we lack the kind of strength. The Orthodox Church lacks the kind of strength it once had to be um, as vocal and as present in dealing with these heresies. Because okay, so let's go. Let's talk about similarities between uh, Christianity and religions or uh, other religions in the world. Um, I mean, if, if you uh, people don't read the Bible, but if you just if you do read the Bible, uh, you know that there is the uh, the Tower of Babel, right? So at one mm-hmm. point in time, humanity all shared a language and had this kind of communal community that didn't exist again after the Tower of Babel until uh, Pentecost, which is like the answer to the Tower of Babel. So, so you have at the Tower of Babel, um, you have uh, uh, these people uh, attempting to build for um, what was the name of the guy? I can't think of his Nimrod. For, for Nimrod, to build a tower to the heavens, you know, I guess to challenge God's authority or something. Right. So God's, God strikes down these people, gives them different languages so they can't communicate, they can't work together. And then they're diffused in the world. So you have, okay, so now we have, um, in the Roman pantheon, we have Vulcan, right? In, in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis. Uh, so Vulcan is the artificer god of the Romans. In the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, we have Tubal-Cain, who was the first artificer. So it's like their names are very similar, but yeah, that makes sense because it's right there. It's it's in the Tower of Babel, right? And so I mean, like, yeah, you, you're gonna find these similarities because when it, when something happens, actually does happen, and it's reported by many people, the story changes somewhat, but yeah. but doesn't mean it didn't happen, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. So to tie it back, yeah, I didn't mean to go off on that little oh, thing, yeah. but there's the some of the words you're using might not be known, or you. You know, if, if, if you're saying, like, we don't only have Orthodox listeners. So oh, you had right. said, like, oh, okay, for us to be human, that might immediately puzzle someone and be like, what? There's a definition of human besides. So, you know what yeah, I'm saying? I so too, a lot of people aren't going to have the foundation even in, in a lot of just the words that you're using. But well, not that it matters. Forgive me, yeah. Yeah. But it was just something I picked up on. Like, someone's going to be confused, like. The Orthodox Church defines what a human being is. Well, well not, yes, yeah, yes. I mean, and, and forgive me, I, I don't mean to alienate or uh, insult anybody, but um, we, yeah, we have a definition for human. We have a living word. It's Jesus Christ. That is the nor- normative. You know, as a as a, a certain priest we we both know would say that that is that is the norm. Like Jesus is the norm for humanity. That's that's what it means to be human. Anything less than that is falling short of humanity. That's where we find our humanity. To be sure. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, to, to, to move on to what you actually were meaning to oh, say, oh, right. not my questions sure. that I keep interrupting you. <laughs> no. Uh, yes. So, so Odysseus, um, so it's relevant to us as, as men, trying to be men in society. Odysseus yeah. is returning, right? So he's returning to Ithaca. He's trying to get back home. He's been gone for 20 years now. So he's been a soldier. Um, he wasn't always a soldier. Well, I take that back. He was always a soldier, but he wasn't always away campaigning. He lived in Ithaca with his wife, Penelope. That just was his profession. That's a, yeah. I mean, as a land, I mean, as a noble, as a Greek noble, that's kind of, that's kind of your deal. Okay. So, um, so he's called to war. He doesn't want to go to war. I don't know how much background I should give. I don't want to bore anybody, but he doesn't want to go to war, but there's a war, the Trojan War. And this is because uh, one of the princes of Troy, uh, Paris, has stolen the wife of, of a... Of a of a Greek nobleman. And so they call the, his wife is Helen of Troy. They call her the face. She had, she had such beauty. They call her the face that launched a thousand ships. So a thousand Greek war vessels go to, to Troy 
to fight over her honor and for the honor of her um, husband. And so Odysseus is entangled in this war. So he's gone for 20 years. When he leaves, his son Telemachus is a boy. Um, so he doesn't even get to see him grow up. But it, So he's been a soldier for 20 years. Now he's coming back home, and he has to learn to deal with a half of the human population he's not had to deal with for the last 20 years. Women. Yeah. And so, um, so, so much of the Odyssey, you read it, and it has a narrative. You can read it as an adventure story. But underlying that is it's really Odysseus coming to terms with what it means to deal with the other sex. Um, and so... When you when you get it when you read it, it's an education in manhood because see see like see like men have to learn. We have to live in society, right? We have these urges, and a lot of our urges, um, I think, are antisocial. We, we you know I forget who it said, but uh, who said this? But they said like every year the world's inundated by barbarians. You know, and that's little boys being born. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and we see it in our. Uh, I don't have kids, but the 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 kids of my friends you could they're you know just like when i came up yeah. today it's like yeah. kids are jumping off things yep. they're rolling around they don't want clothes on that's right they just want a straight beast mode on everyone that's exactly time. it that's <laughs> the state of man and nature right and um so one of the first problems that odysseus runs into well in terms of the story because the story is kind of told backward because all these all the greek epics are told they, they begin in the middle and they kind of go backward to tell what happened in the past and then they, they conclude at the actual chronological end. So mm. when, the, when the story opens, Odysseus is trapped in a cave. He's become a, um, a love slave of, of, a, of a sea nymph, which is like a, you know, kind of like an intermediary goddess. So he's become a love slave, and he's living in her cave. And um, A siren? Oh, it, it, not a siren? Not a, not a siren. It's different. The, yeah, the siren a, is a... Is an episode previous to this. The sirens, you know, they're the ones who they sing these enchanting melodies that cause men to abandon their ship. And then when they when they swim to the island of the island of the sirens, the sirens eat them. Yeah. Um, this is a this is a, a woman who's actually in love with Odysseus. Oh, legitimately. Yeah, but oh, see, okay. but see, the problem is, and it's a warning against a certain kind of love because, of course, Odysseus has a destiny. His destiny is returned to his wife Penelope, who is like his worthy counterpart. But you know he has to learn to relate to women, and this and this uh, this woman, the sea nymph, um, uh, Calypso, is her name, uh, the sea nymph Calypso, she rescues him, and so like their love relationship starts on a really bad foot, and so and so here's like the first warning to men reading the Odyssey, is that you don't want to be involved in a love relationship where the woman rescues you, hmm. because it see it sets up, um, it sets is that up, like a shoulder to cry on like that. What would be like a, a modern application? Kind of like the um, the warning against uh, Oedipal relationships, like a mommy to take care of you. We all, we, uh, you probably know people like this. Um, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> I one in mind right now. Okay, well, yeah, and so this is a danger because see, here's the here's the issue. Like, but I'm going to take care of you, or else. That's what it becomes. For it. That's what it becomes. Yeah, and it's because you know uh, the the woman cannot respect a man in that relationship, like. This is going to sound very sexist, but, uh, but I mean, I don't know. That's the, the course of the show is going to sound that way. It isn't, but it's going to sound that way because the canonical literature, there's a reason why the literature that, that I want to talk about today no longer exists in the colleges anymore because it, because, because the attitude that we have now is that, uh, that men are women, women are men. 
Women, women are men, men are women. If right. There's, if there's a fight between a man and woman. It's completely even. You just watch watching a superhero movie, and you can see Scarlett Johansson like uppercut some 350 pound linebacker, and he falls. You know, he, he's knocked out cold. So like the that's the attitude, but but that's not. I think what's being borne out, what we're finding is that's not reality. People are rediscovering that. Um, and, uh, and, and so the issue is that um, a woman really cannot respect a man uh, who, who needs to be taken care of like that. It's, right. it's kind of the, the, the reversal. And this is the warning in the Odyssey because Odysseus is rescued and this sets the tone for their relationship. So he lives essentially um, as, as her lover and her property and she takes care of him. And when we see Odysseus, he's living in her cave, which is uh, like, like Freudian. He's living in her cave. Right. And he's just sitting, uh, he sits on the coast every single day and looks at the, sh- at the ocean and he cries because he remembers what it was like to be a man. Because he, yeah, he's not fulfilling his calling. Exactly right. I mean, that's a, regardless of orthodoxy or whatever. And, and I would just assume other of the major religions, just if not everyone, believes in whatever calling is i think you're right i think you're right i mean the word vocation you know it comes from latin uh vocare and it means to be you know to call and it's like every everywhere in nature as you say uh, that that language is everywhere in nature you have a calling you have a destiny i think that's you know i mean well you, you and i both believe in god and it's um it's something that's implanted in you like you have this this thing implanted in you and it can't be satisfied by temporal things you have something off you know and of course Religions would disagree on what that is, you know, like, like, like you know, like Eastern religions would say it's like a reunion with the one, you know, or like the Neoplatonists would say something along the same lines. Uh, for Christians, it means something totally different. Right. But the, the point is, is they all have it. Right. And when you're missing it, it's, it's beyond painful. Oh, absolutely. It's, yeah. it's, it's decay. Yeah. And there's nothing, right. there's nothing you can throw with that. There's nothing you can fill that up with. Except getting back into it. That's exactly right. Yeah, and, um, and, and, and so uh, what happens here with Calypso, and this is what happens in um, all of the classical literature, the hero at some point kind of like casts off his masculinity and be, out of fear generally. Um, and then what has to happen is the gods have to intercede. And they have to like slap him around. Um, it's funny because if you, um, if you follow literature, you follow movies, this happens in movies now. We don't, obviously, you, you and I don't believe in, like, uh, Hermes, you know, Mercury. Um, the ancient Greeks did, obviously, uh, some of them. But um, but we don't believe in that. But but this figure, this Mercury figure still exists. So um, in, in the Odyssey, it's Mercury that comes down and slaps Odysseus around. Odysseus around says, look, you need to get back to your destiny. You need to get back in the ship. You need to, you need to do all these things because your destiny right now is unfulfilled. And... Um, uh, but this happens in movies too. You, they're always going to be a character. Like every movie has this kind of trajectory. If it's a it's a movie with a, with a male figure, where it's like he's you know he get kind of gives up on his calling, and he's you know working at some job that isn't really worthy of him. And then here comes this other figure that slaps him out of it. Right. I'm thinking of especially of the. I mean, this is going to be kind of dated reference. But do you remember that movie, that John Favreau movie, uh, Swingers, with um, uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they even have an interaction in that movie. Uh, John Favreau's character and um, who's the other guy? Vince Vaughn. Yeah, yeah. They, they even have an interaction in that movie where he says, you know, like, look, you depend on me. I drag you through all these things, kicking and screaming. You need me. You know, there's a moment where the John Favreau character gets mad at Vince Vaughn, and that that is the activity of Mercury in in the classic uh, literature. That's what it is. 
he, he gets you, you're stuck in a rut, he drags you kicking and screaming. Cause is it because we become you know, because we are like malleable or we are constantly being able to be formed in our presence. Like we're very adaptive, right? Right. So we and this is something that I think that at least the the Christian church as a general theme, regardless of denomination or whatever, you have a purpose. And when you're not fulfilling that purpose, you become, I think I just lost the point. It's like the Langston Hughes poem that what happens to a dream deferred? Like, uh, it does it, I don't remember the exact words of the poem, but the gist is basically what happens to a dream deferred is it dry up like a raisin in the sun. Yeah. You know, um, does it, Something, 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 and run. I forget the last. That's probably the most important part. <laughs> but, um, but, but that's what, yeah, you, something inside you shrivels. Yeah, and, and oh, I think I was going to speak on the autonomy of the person. Okay. And I'm not trying to get into a philosophical discussion about free will, but I'm just saying, like, you can 100% reject your calling. Right. You Absolutely. have that ability. Of course. I mean, if, if we have free will at all, that is my view that that's where the free will is you can hitch your wagon to god's plan or you can resist it and i i really think that free will comes down to that because i mean i mean i guess this is a different discussion you said you don't want to talk about it so we don't have to talk about free will because i might i might send us somewhere else it it does this is free free flowing i'm just um i'm just more worried about you Getting, you know, to getting, point. getting to the point, getting what you want to do, because I'm a I'm a terrible uh, boat driver. If I'm trying to drive this ship, I'm I'm not that good at. Oh it. no, I, I, like, I think it's all cool. So. I like the scenic route. That's my, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's well, do the scenic route. Okay, well then, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a note because I, I, I I'm getting to something, but I'll come back. But, See, uh, I was telling Jesse before, we have ten bullet points that we want to talk about every show, and we get to like three or four. Yeah, we're on like two now. We're on number two. Right. We're making good progress. We're 22 minutes in and we barely covered two things. So, but I think that's what's cool about these discussions is we get down to it. We're just not going to give you a Fox News five-second soundbite or it's not how this works. Yeah. Well, what's that good for anyway? Like, yeah. The, um, you know, the um, concerning the question of free will, it's like I have this discussion all the time with young people. Because um, the world in which we live, people, um, they seem to shirk responsibility. They seem to feel like they're kind of like the victim of fate. And I can understand how, how a person could begin to feel that way. Especially, yeah. I work with a lot of, like, uh, you know, I guess so economically disadvantaged young people. And, I mean, really, there are not as many doors open to you when you come from that background as it would be from, you know, someone living in Palo Alto. You, right. know, you know what I mean? It's like definitely fewer doors open to you. Um, Nevertheless, uh, free will does exist, but I, I think that it's, it's humbling to remember, in, in my view, that your will is not as free as you believe it is. Like a lot of the things that we kind of take credit for, uh, we probably shouldn't. Because, you know, it's, it's easy to like look at somebody, we were just talking about, you know, there's a serious homeless problem where we live, and, yeah. uh, and, and talking about like interactions with homeless people and how it can be infuriating, it can be sad, it can be depressing. But, um, you know, you, you, you look at your life and it's like, okay, you didn't choose, like, you don't choose the language you speak when you're born. You don't choose the religion you're born into. You don't choose your ethnicity. You don't choose the way you look. You don't choose the things you're good at. 
you don't choose what your vices are um, coming out, you know, because we have these hereditary vices. Um, oh, I definitely believe that. Yeah, for sure, man. And yeah. you don't choose the part of the world in, into which you're born. You don't choose whether or not your mom was drug addicted. You don't right. choose, you know, so, 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 so many things are determined for you by the time you get here. So it's like, th- th- this is why Christianity is so important. Nothing makes sense if there is not some kind of judge uh, that can look at you and judge you for, for what your intense intentions are. Like, that is the only way that this world makes sense. If, 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 I mean, that's the only way there's any equity in this world. If there's somebody who can, like, look through you and all the things you've struggled through and all the things you've come from and know what your motivations are. Because certainly, like, no no judge in this world can do that. No. Um, and so, I mean, I think, I think it's incredibly humbling, it has been for me at least, to remember that so many of the things that you might be proud of, it's like, yeah, you were given that. And I mean, even, even our faith, even, even, I think that's, I know that's in the Bible that, uh, that even, even our faith comes from God. Like, so can't even boast about that. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I'd, uh, returning, uh, if I could return to, uh, I was building something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, so the, um, you asked, why is it, why is it that that is the temptation? Uh, to kind of like, so like Odysseus with Calypso, to be involved in a relationship like that where you're taken care of. That, that is, you know, the thing about uh, men, and, and you find this in, in the literature and the canon, and we can go over a bunch of examples. Um, there's always a temptation to living the easy life. Yeah. And, and, and probably nowhere is that more tempting than the United States of America, where really, you could probably live your whole life without being shaken out of your rut, you know? If you're lucky, or maybe if you're unlucky, depending on how you look at it. That's yeah, that's right. You go to like an affluent area. Um, you know, there are plenty of those in California, and you can see you know grown men, and I don't mean to disparage them because like we just got talking about how how the choices we make, how few of them are on, but in grown men who who still live as children, you know. Yeah. There's this, this phenomenal. Women are getting sick of it too. I can, do reasonably. Absolutely. And, and I mean, I, and I've been, I mean, there are many ways where I'm still holding on to childish things, you know, yeah. so I understand it. Um, but you know, it's like, um, there's a, uh, there's this myth going back to, I believe it's Pythagoras. It's called the uh, dream of Scipio. And it's, um, the very first like heroic action of Hercules, the very first thing that Hercules did that was heroic. And the story goes, it's called the choice of Hercules. That's what the, the tale is called. It was made into a, an opera, I think by Handel, I could be wrong. But the the story, the choice of Hercules, and it all relates to the letter Y, and which is interesting because you know what what distinguishes us from from women is the Y chromosome. Yeah. But it all relates to the letter Y. It's called the Pythagorean Y, and so if you look at like a crossroads, I mean it's the letter Y. And um, so one day when Hercules was about to become a man, at the age at which you become a man, he came to a crossroads, and on the left hand side of the crossroads was a a woman who was um, who was beautifully made up. Um, her, her clothes were cut in such a way to accentuate her womanly features. Um, she had makeup on, um, and um, and on the other on the on the right hand path, so that's the left hand path. On the right hand path was a woman who was very demure. Um, she wasn't wearing any makeup. She looked humble. Um, her face was um, she had a, you know maybe like a shawl on. Um, now, Hercules came to this crossroads, and. Uh, um, the woman on the left-hand path, the one who was beautifully made up, actually left where she was standing and approached him. And she said, look, my name, my name is Beauty. My enemies, my enemies call me lasciviousness or lust. My name is Beauty. If you, if you, if you walk on my path, 
then you'll experience nothing at all but pleasure throughout your entire life. It's an easy road. It's pleasurable. It's level. You'll never lose your footing. And you'll enjoy all the pleasure this world has to offer. Um, and so... Her, How enticing. Indeed. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's America. And, um, and then um, on, on the right-hand path, um, Hercules wanted to hear what the, what the woman on the right-hand path had, had offered. So he actually had to make his way to her. She didn't come to him, which is, is key in the story. Oh. Um, and um, he asked, you know, what is your name? And she said, my name is Virtue. And she said, um, I can't promise you anything easy. This is a difficult path. It's steep. It's thorny. It's difficult and it's dangerous. Um, but at the end of my path, what you get is glory. Um, and, he, and she said, if you follow the path, the left-hand path, what you end up with is shame. Because who thinks that they can sow where they have not reaped, repped, whatever the past tense, repped? <laughs> <laughs> who thinks they can sow where they have not repped? In other words, who thinks they can look for profit in this life without working for it? Yeah. Um, and so fortunately, Her Hercules chose the difficult path. And that is, uh, that is why we know him as a hero. And that's the choice that all men have to make. And um, hopefully, you know, like I, looking back in my life, I can see points in my life where it, I could have done something the easy way. And thank God I didn't do it that way. Um, but, but if you don't find that out soon enough, you end up um, having lived your life and then not really having anything to show for it. Yeah. I can relate to that. I can certainly relate to that in a lot of ways. Because when, <clears throat> when you're uh, a musician and people would maybe uh, disagree with me, but the, I think the real goals of Hollywood have made themselves manifest very much recently. Hmm. The pursuit hmm. of pleasure right. and power at any expense, including at the, the expense of women. Right. And right. I think children, children. Yep. That's right. And I, that was for sure, four years, my goal. Mm -hmm. I want money, house on a hill, surrounded by women. That's rock and roll. That is right. literally rock and roll right. right there. And that's what that industry pushes is the Y road. Right. Or the left road. Le left or, road, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's not right. the Y road, the left road. And it is so enticing, it brings people... To the brink of death trying to get there right people live in their car they live out of their cars drug addiction uh i guess maybe even sex addiction although i'm i heard that's a controversial thing to even say i heard not all psychologists back that up but i really can completely see that that's a real thing of course it is i believe it is it affects your brain and your behavior like what else could it you know so I, I definitely get it. And it was a hard, hard, hard calling to try and give that up. And I still get little, my little, I try to poke out of the water a little bit, see if maybe I can still kind of dip in a little bit here and there. And maybe I can restart a band or redo, you know, just, right. It might tug on me my whole life. Well, did you ever hear anything in school? Did you ever get any warnings against that in school? No. It was an encouragement, right? I mean, I don't know about in school specifically uh, in K twelve public school, but no, that's what was being encouraged. The second one beautiful female says, "Man, you're really good at whatever—guitar, drums, singing, right, bass, whatever." It it's 
it's like working out and you start to get a little curvature in your shoulders or in your arms. And someone's like, man, you've been working out. Well, I'm certainly going back to that gym. It's the same with this. I think it's just positive or consistent reinforcement all the time, all the time, all the time. And pleasure is consistently reinforced by our physical bodies. I, I think the far majority of people take the left road. It's what it seems like. Well, you know, we are set up for that because the, um, the school system, because, because God has to stay out of the classroom, the, the, the school, our mentors, they remain mute on it. And if you go to a public school, you spend more time with your teachers than you do with your parents by a, by, by a huge amount. Yeah. And uh, they're, excuse me, they're, not, they're not allowed to weigh in on questions of morality. I mean, you're not supposed to. It's, it's, against, the, uh, it's against the law. You have a captive audience. The students are not allowed to leave their desks, you know, for 55 minutes. And so you can't say anything to them that would, would, would violate their beliefs. Um, the issue, of course, is, as you know, so many of these kids don't have any parents at home. Yeah. So they learn from their peers. And, you know, children are children. And uh, your, uh, your prefrontal cortex, I mean, the part of your brain that allows you to make good decisions as a man... Um, as a man doesn't even finish growing in until you're 25. So if you're not educating them, then they're getting their education from their peers. They're getting their education from MTV or something as, as pernicious as that. And I mean, it, it's no, it's no real mystery why people think that that is, um, that is, that is the answer to, to suffering in life is this is, is satisfying your, your carnality, you know, like sort of satisfying these things like sex, drugs, money, whatever. It's, it's no mystery. That's the What other answer do we put in front of children? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I feel like there was something that Jordan Peterson said, and I like that guy. I don't know if he's a good philosopher, but I, I like how he encourages people uh, to be men, to step up. But he said, um, it's, it's no mystery why we, or he said something like, it's no mystery why we have drug addiction and people using cocaine and doing all this, the mystery is why everyone isn't doing those things. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. life is hard. When you take that, that right road, it, it's, yeah, it, I think drug addiction makes total sense. Like as a, as an idea, of course it does. Total sense. You've, uh, you, you know, you grew up in the eighties and nineties. Like I did, you no doubt saw train spotting, right? Yep. I sure did. And uh, many, many times, probably at least 20. It's, it's, a, it's a great movie, but hard to watch. But, you know, um, there's a line in that movie where the, the protagonist, Renton, who is addicted to heroin, he says, you know, what people don't understand about addiction is the joy that comes along with it. Yeah. Be because, there, the, you know, having, having an addiction, um, you have something to look forward to. There is, a, you, there is euphoria that attends it. And so it's like, why, why should I stop doing this? What can you offer me in life? That's going to be as appealing to the rush I get from this addiction. And if you, if you take away the church, which is like the church doesn't exist in the school, you take away the church, really, what is there in life? It's nihilism. Mm -hmm. you, you know what I mean? It's a, it doesn't make sense. Life really, devoid of, absent of the church, life does not make sense. What makes sense is anesthetizing yourself until you die. That does make sense if you take away the church. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've never, um, th thank God I've never been addicted to like substances, but there are things that fill that urge in people because life is hard. 
living is hard. I would never fault somebody who is addicted to some some substance. I mean, they need to stop, obviously. But um, I would never fault somebody because YouTube can fill that. I mean, there are times I've been I watch YouTube videos. I'm not even really paying attention to them. I might even yeah. have like like two YouTube videos going or or like a YouTube video going on and then reading the news too. And it's like I'm just trying to keep my mind busy so I don't think about the things that I should be thinking about. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I um I, I really I do I really do like what a lot of stuff that Jordan Peterson says. My, my fear. I mean, honestly, obviously, he's brilliant. Dude's brilliant. I mean, you can't you cannot assail his uh, his his bona fides as a um, as a professor or an intellectual. The thing that the thing that makes me kind of um, wary of him is something that um, Socrates warns about in uh, in the Republic, which is you know it that that book, the Republic, is all about the education of young people. He says that um, like bad poetry is not dangerous. Good bad poetry is incredibly dangerous, hmm. and what he means is something that um, has a harmful message but is packaged beautifully. That's dangerous. Yeah, a, a bad message delivered by a brilliant artist is incredibly dangerous. For the same reason that um, you know, like rat poison is like ninety nine percent delicious stuff because you got to. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I don't know what what it is exactly, but it's but there's only like one percent or something of it that's poison because you need to entice these rats to consume it. So like Jordan Peterson. He, he goes a long way. He'll say some really good things, but he always stops short of, and maybe because he doesn't want to be pigeonholed, I don't know. Um, he always stops short of saying he believes in God. Like he'll say, well, you know, he kind of takes the out that um, other people who are like him, like Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung, people who, um, you know, speak about archetypes in literature. Right. He kind of takes the out that they take where it's like, well, you know, like when I say that Christianity is a mythology, that's not saying it's not true. Like mythology is the deepest form of truth. It's actually truer than it's like, okay, that, that's a hedge, you know, yeah. you know, just tell yeah. me, do you believe in God or not? I really want to hear the answer to that question. So it's like Jordan Peterson, I feel like he's doing a really good job getting men to like want to behave like men. I mean, even, even some of the obvious stuff he says, like clean your room, that's really good advice. Right. Right. And, um, but, but it's, it's not going to ultimately, it's not going to be enough. Because you know, you know who had really good philosophy? The Greeks. They had excellent philosophy. Yeah. Their civilization collapsed. The Romans had excellent philosophy. Their civilization collapsed. Like um, Edward Gibbons, he wrote The um, Fall of the Roman Empire, or The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. Huge. It was his, life, his magnum opus, his life's work. And he arrived, <laughs> he arrived at the conclusion that, uh, that, that the advent of Christianity was responsible for the destruction of the Roman Empire. Wow. Yeah, you know, because I, I guess it weakened, um, you know, like the national, um, the, like this, the national cult. You know, it kind of weakened it. Because, I mean, truthfully, Christianity is like Christianity depend the demands your loyalty. You know, you're a Christian first before you're an American. You're a Christian. Yeah, you know, that's right. And so, whereas with like with Rome, it's like this national cult. Like their religion was part of their national security. You know, which is the justification they gave for um, killing Christians is because like if you're not going to sacrifice the to Jove or to like Demeter, or if you're not going to sacrifice to, to Athena or they didn't have Athena, they had, um, whatever she was in the Roman, Roman pantheon, then, then you're going to incur their wrath. And that's a threat to our national security. So we have to throw you to the lions. Yeah. So what, so is there a way to, to, to pull that back into the points that we were, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Speaking of, um, okay, so yeah, so, so, so we need, um, 
as men, we need an education in manhood. Um, that education uh, used to come from the humanities. So it used to be in... Which was, this was all part of. Oh, this yeah, is the absolutely, humanities. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the humanities, uh, you know, like literature and history and... and um, um, and it used to be the case that you would, well, like, so for example, so I'm an English major and it used to be the case that in, 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 a, in, a, in an English degree, which that, that as a major has only existed since like, um, like the 1900s, you know, English degree, but an English degree, you would read like beautiful letters. Like you'd read stuff like written by the, like the best thoughts written by the best people. That's an education. Um, and so it wasn't about like, well, what can you do? Like your education wasn't like, okay, well, now you, you have a degree in English. Now, what does that make you able to do? It wasn't that like in English, like literature was part of the education because it's more it, like, well, I can learn. That's exactly that's right. what I can do is that's I can learn. That's exactly what I'm it is. Teachable. That's exactly what it is. I mean, uh, and the humanities was teaching you to learn like the humanities is a master art because unless you understand grammar and logic and rhetoric, you can't take apart a book, whether it's uh, on physics or history or mathematics, you need to understand grammar, logic, and rhetoric. You need to understand grammar, um, what things mean, logic, how the ideas work together, and which ideas are bad ideas, and rhetoric, the um, order of an argument, so you understand how you are being persuaded, um, and also how to make persuasive arguments yourself. So the um, the uh, the canon, which has been completely gutted, like if you were to go to um, uh, you know, like this lo local state school or the local, you know, even the local UC, you're not going to get anything from the canon. You're going to get things like uh, um, gender studies or queer theory or um, deconstructionalism. Uh, all these things that are looking at books as, um, as not really containing any useful information, but rather like, um, how is this person a racist? How is this person a colonialist? How does this person exploit this character? How is this person a misogynist? You know, um, so you're not actually getting any lessons. The, the, the canon used to provide the lessons. Hmm. And, and the whole point of, of reading um, literature was to have a theory of human psychology. Because if you read literature, you can understand how the mind operates. We don't have the luxury of having a thousand life experiences because we only have our lives. Right, right. But, but if you read literature, you can see, well, okay, how did this fellow get through this circumstance? How did Odysseus deal with um, 30 soldiers trying to kill him at the same time. How did he deal with how, how, what were sex relations like among the ancient Greeks? Like we can learn all these things by looking at other people's experiences. And that's what an education used to be about. Yeah. Um, well, to, to yeah. be fair and to play the other side, isn't it, isn't it just as valid say there's gender theory or I hate, I hate even saying the word queer because it, it's like when we were a kid that, that wasn't a permissible thing, but now right. it's just like on the forefront. I think that's very strange. It makes me uncomfortable, but cause it was a pejorative before, but, um, how are, aren't their experiences valid as well? Yeah. But the, the issue is that, um, you get away from the subject you're attempting to learn. If you're trying to learn human psychology, if you're trying to learn, um, to write well by reading well, um, it, I, I think the analogy to make would, would be like, like, let's say you want to be an architect, right? Now you're going to have to read books on architecture, irrespective of whether they're written by straight men, gay men, women, women of color. doesn't matter who wrote it. The content is the point. Exactly right. Okay. So could you, going off of that, could you 
put in what what's the main character's name? Odysseus. Right. Could it be Jennifer doing the same thing? Um, no. No. <laughs> no. No. Okay. Specifically, no. Definitely no, because there is a the, for the Greeks, um, everything was everything was gendered. I mean, and not not just people, but I mean the world itself was gendered. Everything had a gendered. Mm-hmm. Everything had a gender. This is evident in in the language too. I mean, like. Uh, English is not uh, an inflected language, so we don't have these gender differences. When we, you know, but Spanish, right, right. Spanish does, and that's something a lot of people are familiar with. But um, so, so like, like, like a like a body of water for the ancient Greeks. That's feminine because it promotes life, because it's uncontained, because it spills out. Um, whereas, like a tower is masculine because it stands it stands erect. I'm not I'm not not, not trying to be gross, like, but but it stands erect and it's firm and it's and it's. Um, so, um, uh, Un, like unchanging. Yes. Right. 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 Because, um, because you know, the, the, the universe, um, for the ancient Greeks was very much like, um, uh, the microcosm and the macrocosm were the same. Everything out there in hmm. the world was exactly the same as you. So, so there's nothing, um, so, um, so take for, <laughs> this is a kind of, I think a kind of good example, like the, uh, you ever, you ever see, um, Men in Black. They're, yeah, but I mean, yeah, a long, long ago. Yeah. Okay. Well, like you know, in Men in Black, um, the the whole spoiler alert. But I guess it's a few decades old, so it's okay. Yeah, right? it's fine. Um, <laughs> so uh, the the whole movie, they're looking for this like galaxy. You know, they're like they're trying to figure out where it's on Orion's belt somewhere. Like, oh, there's no galaxy on Orion's belt. Turns out there's a cat named Orion, and he has like a belt around his neck, and the galaxy is the size of a marble. Yeah, I do remember that part. So, so, I mean, this is the the view of the Greeks that basically you are a universe. Everything in you, um, everything out there in the universe exists in you. So, mm-hmm. so take for example, you look at the solar system, our solar system. You have these uh, these planets circling around it. Um, that is just like uh, one of the molecules in your body, You're like a proton, neutron, electron, um, yeah. an atom. Excuse me, an atom. Um, and and uh, you know, you look at the trees, and they're like the Earth's lungs. Those exist in you too. So, like. I, maybe I'm belaboring the point, but essentially, no, it could not. The, uh, the Odyssey could not be have a female lead because the Odyssey is a story of a man trying to return to his kingdom to be reunited with his counterpart. It's uh. the union of masculine and feminine, the union of male and female, the union of opposites. And um, there could be a different version for women. It's not like they didn't have education as well oh no it's just from a different angle or different deliverer and education and education and manhood is an education in womanhood because men and women are men and women are counterparts so in the odyssey his counterpart is penelope his his wife and she has her own uh, heroic struggle Uh, and and the struggle of women is different from the struggle of men and um this this is a, a religious truth for the ancient greeks if you take if you think about um, uh, a doorknob, for example, right? Like, there has to be a part of the doorknob that remains fixed, and there has to be a part of the doorknob that remains moving, right? In order right. for the doorknob to work. We even call the, I mean, like you said, not to be gross, yeah. but it's all male-female. Oh, right. Yeah, electronics. Yeah, right? Like, but even within a door handle, there's like a male part and a female part. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Well, I mean, if you've seen a door handle taken apart... Mm-hmm. I don't know. That, that's just what I was. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slides over. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and then same with electronics into the plug. 
and we don't even think about it. Like, no, the mail goes into the, you know, and da, 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 and right. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so, um, there's a part that has to remain fixed and there's a part that has to leave. Okay. There's a part that has to move. Yeah. Um, and this is the household. Um, if we think about the traditionally ordered household, this is how it works. There, there is a, a woman who is a domestic goddess who manages the household, the children, the economy at home, all these things. Um, but, but the, okay. So the household will not be sustained without her. She is like the residing, the resident spirit of the household. Um, and also the household will not survive if there's not somebody going out to procure the necessities to keep the household running the materials of the household. Yeah. Uh, um, and then, and so that's the relationship between men and women. There is the, there is the, uh, um, it's the, it's, it's the union of opposites there cor- that correspond with one another. So, um, Penelope has to um, maintain her household. She has to keep a place for Odysseus to return to, or else he can't do what he has to do. And conversely, Odysseus has to do things like go to war. And he also has to be able to kill people because the household has to be protected from from barbarism. And I mean, as the story shakes out, like jumping all the way to the end, while Odysseus is gone in Ithaca, uh, excuse me, while Odysseus is gone coming back from from, uh, Troy, Everybody else in Ithaca assumes that he's dead. He's been gone for 20 years. So the house has been filling up with other men trying to marry Penelope, um, other suitors. They want to marry her and they want to kill her son because they want Odysseus's inheritance because he has a great deal of wealth. Mm. Um, and so, so her task, um, her hero's journey is this. She has to devise a way to keep her, um, to keep her household, to keep her son alive, um, to keep her purity, um, and, and, and to buy time while Odysseus is coming back from Troy. So the, so the way she does it is she says, I cannot be married until I finish this garment for, um, her father-in-law, her father-in-law is sick and is going to die. So she has to finish sewing this garment on a loom. And she said, I can't marry anyone, um, until I finish this for my father-in-law. And they all like, they all recognize that this is a, a, an occupation. It's a responsibility in the community that women have to make these garments, these funeral garments. Um, so every day she works on the loom and these suitors eat up her household cause they're living now in her household. Um, and every night she's strange. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and every night, um, every night she, uh, every night she sneaks away, um, while all the other soldiers are sleeping and she un- unwinds what she's done during the evening. So she like unstitches everything. So the garment is never actually completed. Yeah. And so, um, so by doing this, she keeps the uh, soldiers at, at bay. So, so, so each person in the narrative, he, he, they, they have a job to do. And so you could not, um, keeping with the Greek worldview, like flip it around. There were female heroes in, in classical literature. There were heroines, there were soldiers, um, famous ones, uh, in, um, in the Aeneid, there's a woman named Dido who's a Carthaginian general. Um, but, but their, their journeys and their missions are not the same as men. They're not just men. They're not just like men with a palette swap. Right. Right. That's interesting. And we see this being played out, but people are double, triple, quadrupling down on things. Right. It's interesting. But then now, especially being in the United States, I'm sure we can go off on all kinds of roads on this, but we really do in a lot of ways, unless 
unless we're very good at making money, like very good, right? To where even six figures now, it's like if you want a decent family, right, and your own house, like six figures. Oh, in California, yeah, minimum. It's a minimum, which most people don't make, right? So, that's even this this whole thing is jeopardized. If you know, assuming people could listen, and be like, "Well, I don't believe the Greeks," so there you go. I don't believe what they say. But assuming you you kind of identify with it, some people might throw up their hands, and be like, "I can't even do it." My wife has to go to work at least part time or whatever, right? Just to get through the week and make sure we eat, which is which is a sad reality. Yeah, and and I mean, this this is a very sad reality, of course, especially if we live in California. It's not an ideal set of circumstances, uh, and I mean, it's you know, it was supposed to be liberation when women entered the workforce. Okay, but I, basic economics tells you if if you have half the population that's not working, now suddenly twice the people who were working before are now working, what happens to the price of labor? It falls. Right. It's cut in half because now you have twice as many uh, available employees. And, uh, you know, if, if you don't want to work for these wages, well, there's 10 people waiting outside to get the same job. So you, so you lose power. So, I mean, it's like, like I don't know, um, like, like, like my dad never graduated high school. His dad never graduated high school. They both were single income wage earners that that supplied the money for both of our households. You know, and and, yeah. and now with, with an advanced degree, that's unthinkable. Right. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, and, and you know, it's like if you if you really, even if you make a decent income, even if you're making six figures, you're still sacrificing a lot. To have a, a single, to have a stay-at-home mother, you're still sacrificing a great deal. Um, you're probably not owning a house in California, right? You know, you're, you're renting, or you go to a place where you're not going to make the wage. One way, or the, it's always like a flip, right? I hear this a lot, where it's like, oh, well, why don't you just move to Arizona? Why don't you just move to Texas? Why don't you just move to Idaho? Like wherever you can just fill right. in the blank. It right. doesn't even really matter. It's like, well, okay, I make X amount of money here. Yeah. There, how about I take a fifteen dollar pay cut? Right. Are you telling me houses are equivalent to fifteen dollars an hour less per hour for me to be able to afford the same house? Well, right. it's like, no, the house is still two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars. You just get more with it. And it's like, I don't know why you don't see that that doesn't add up. Right. Yeah. My skill set in California is this amount. Somewhere else, it's barely this amount. Everything scales down. Drastically. Yeah. The yeah. Teachers get paid nothing outside of California. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I guess maybe New York, but... Uh, but exactly. I mean, it's way more expensive to live in New York than it is in California, even. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that, that's a real issue. I mean, yeah, you can buy a house in Ohio, like a decent house in Ohio, for like $50,000. But they pay so much less, you know, for... Uh, and, and if we're talking about, like... Um, I mean... The, the middle class in California consists primarily of people who work for the state, to be honest. That's me? Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, and then, I mean... You know, Either directly or indirectly. Right. I mean, yeah. But yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Because, like, let's say you're a contractor. All the juicy contracts come from, like, hospitals and schools, you know, and all of that. Right. So it's like you do one way or the other. Yeah. You know, military... I mean, I guess medicine... I think medicine is really pretty much a state run thing now since like Obamacare I mean they spend so much time filling out those insurance forms trying to get reimbursed 
like Medicare, Medicaid, whatever. Yeah. And, 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 and how many people have health insurance only because they're government employees. <laughs> right. Oh, that's for sure me. Yeah, same here. Yeah. It comes directly from my employment. Yeah. So, okay. I know, see, we, <laughs> this, is the, this is the definite scenic route. Oh, yeah, for <laughs> sure. For sure. I, I mean, uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to find a way back. Um, but, uh, you know, we have, there's, there's a lot to cover. It's because it's also applicable. That's the point of the whole thing, is that there are real-life examples of the breakdowns of the things that we should be taught versus what's actually happening. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And, and I mean, it's even like something that we we both heard um, discussed today: the idea of like kind of intergenerationality. Like our um, our society is 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 sick in many ways, and one of those ways is that um, the old people don't don't communicate with their children or their grandchildren anymore. Not obviously not faulting the elderly, but I mean, we are taught to live like atomized, like a nuclear household. People, the old people get a certain age, you, sh- you know, they're shunted off to like some kind of retirement community, yeah, to live their last days on like you know, oxycotton or whatever. And then um, the kids are away at school all day, and then mom and dad are you know, off at work. And it's like we're completely atomized, we're not passing um, um, education down generationally, like, where, yeah, yeah. And, and this is something that, um, uh, the um, another, another epic poem, um, the uh, the the Aeneid, which was written by a Roman poet, Virgil. Um, it is in the tradition of the Odyssey, and it's an, it's an education in the same way. Um, and it opens with the city. It's it's the other side of the story of the Odyssey. So the Odyssey hmm. is um, Troy, uh, Troy is being burnt, and all, all the Trojan women are being enslaved. The Trojan soldiers are all dead. Um, but one one Trojan soldier lives, and his name is Aeneas. And he's he's fleeing Troy. Um, and his wife dies. His, he, he can't go back for her. She gets caught in a, in a structure fire. She dies. So it's him. It's, it's Aeneas. It's his son and, um, and, his, and his father. And the image is uh, a really moving image. The, la- the, the last image they have together in Troy is he's walking. Uh, um, Aeneas is holding his son's hand, Ascanius. He's holding his hand. He's a boy. Um, and he's carrying on his back his dad, Anchises. He carries him mm-hmm. on his back. And the symbolism there is like so rich because it's like that's what men have to do. You have to um, carry what your ancestors, you know, your grandparents and all that, not just what they knew, but what they did. You have to carry that with you. And you also have to have one hand on your posterity, um, raising them up in the way in which you were raised. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and that's the situation we've all find ourselves in. We're, we're all, we're all in, uh, in Troy and Troy's burning and we have to carry on. Right. So if, if I can, if I can ask this, especially with, with modern day frames of mind, because I think before very recently, there wouldn't even be a question of whether you had kids. It was right. only a question of biology. If you could have kids, like right. some people just can't physically have children. Right. Why would someone, if you know, if I'm understanding the, the metaphor correctly, you're inheriting garbage <laughs> and carrying that garbage, mm-hmm. you're most certainly going to pass on that garbage, then they have to carry that garbage and then pass it on. Why, why do we do this? Why does it even matter that we have children to pass on? Why, like, where's where's the optimism versus the pessimism because 
if you're just looking through the, like what we're talking about today, what is the point if we're just going to die a miserable death and um, pass on garbage to another generation that's going to die a miserable death? Like, why is it so important that we do that at all? Yeah, that's, that's, man, that's an excellent question. And I think that um, a key one to ask, we, by having, and okay, this is, and, and this is obviously not a slight against people who are like biologically incapable of having children. Of course, that's, that's a, um, that's a cross to bear. And it saddens me. Um, uh, I never wanted to have kids. <laughs> when, when I was younger, I was like, no, why, what I used, what I said, I remember what I said to my wife at the time. Why would I bring anybody into this world? Yeah. Beyond that, I didn't even feel capable because, you know, you and I, I think, have some this in common. Maybe our backgrounds are not the best. And so we don't really have a model, perhaps, right. for, for even what it means to be like an actual parent and like to actually teach your kid lessons. Yeah. I feel like I got maybe three quarters of it. Okay. I got the manhood part. Okay. Because my dad was an unending, even to this day as he's on the brink of retirement and end ending father okay in so much that he was taught what being a father was okay you are uh clothed housed fed you didn't get everything you've ever wanted right as far as material possessions but pretty close right you got a version of things you wanted right um but what was missing yes was that second that other, and maybe it's more than 25%, but that other component, which was the woman intermingling. So it makes it a little like, hmm, yeah. why go through all that? I don't even know what that means. Yeah, think, or thank, whatever, God, right? thank God that, you know, your dad was, <clears throat> is a man. Um, yeah, no doubt. There's and, no doubt. And speaking to your specific circumstances, it's like, yeah, like the part you miss is um, having a, like a mother and I do have a mom too, by the way. I'm just talking about specifically like in marriage together. Right. In the same house. Like, blah. And I mean, that's, that's huge. Like that's everything. Like the relation between men and women is everything because, yeah. um, uh, bearing maybe off topic for just a second. Um, like our success as men is kind of quantified in, um, in society and biologically and all of that. And whether or not we're able to get a woman to accept us. I mean, like, well, you know, like I've noticed with my son, you know, he, um, right away, everything he does, he's like, look, mom, look, mom, look what I'm doing. Mom. Right. Look what I'm doing. It's like, he, he doesn't really care about showing off to me. Right. It's like, that's built in. And then being a, being a young man, it's like, dude, why did I start skateboarding? So girls could watch me skateboard. Like, <laughs> like what did right. you get in a band? It's like, it's like, it's like that, that, that is like how we keep track of ourselves. And, and, um, and when, I, and when I see a bunch of kids, uh, I, I mean, I work with a lot of kids that have real difficult stories. Um, they kind of mistake these uh, romantic entanglements they get themselves in trouble with in high school. They kind of mistake that for like a mother's love. They kind of mistake mm. that for like a fulfillment of that. Um, but, but getting to uh, your, your question, like specifically, like why do it? Well, not, not taking anything away, of course, from people who biologically cannot have children. You know, that's a, that's a lot of people. Um, but it really, really, really humanizes you in a way that's difficult to explain. Um, if you don't have children, if you, if you never experienced having children, it's difficult to explain because yeah. you, you are selfish. Not you. I mean, like people, well, no. people yeah. in general, not like you. <laughs> you are, uh, you are like kind of a selfish scumbag 
um, throughout your adolescence, kind of out of necessity to survive. You got to see to your own things. You got to kind of like know what you want out of life and kind of go after it. But yeah. you, you, you become really selfish and a lot of weeds grow in that garden, your soul. A lot of weeds grow in that garden. Nothing is a crash course in selflessness um, quite like having a child because suddenly, and, and this is maybe cliche, but suddenly there's something in the world that you love more than yourself. And I mean, of, of course you love your wife. Um, of course you love your wife, like the wife of your youth. It's, um, but there's it's something that takes on a different quality here because you are now a hundred percent responsible for the well-being and nurturing and education of this, of this creature. And, um, and they love you right out of the box and they just want to be like you. And, uh, it is such a heavy responsibility. Yeah. You, you know, even if, even if I weren't a Christian, even if I didn't believe in God, I would still feel the weight of that responsibility. And I would still feel the necessity of finding whatever there existed in this world that approximated truth and giving that to my kids. And so, you know, if you don't believe in God or if, um, if you kind of believe in God or, you know, if you believe in the universe or whatever, like still having a child is, 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 is vital. If you can't, it's vital to become part of that. You were taking care of somebody, somebody, somebody wiped your butt, somebody fed you, somebody tucked you in. Yeah. Like to now to understand what all of that meant, you have to have a kid. Like I don't, I never understood my dad until I had a kid. And then I'm like, oh, this, this is what he dealt with. This yeah. is what he did. Um, and it's so vital to return to the topic of our discussion. It's so vital for men to have an education because they're going to look to you for answers. And, and if you can't provide ready answers, then they're going to look to their peers and those are never going to be good places to look. Cause they're on this, they're exactly in the same place. A hundred percent. And they get a lot of their information from the authority in their lives, which is going to be music or popular culture. Yeah. Um, you know, or maybe teachers and sometimes teachers are good. Sometimes, sometimes teachers have crazy ideas. Um, but it's, uh, even if you didn't believe in God, then you have kids because it humanizes you and it, it gives, um, some meaning, meaning to this life that maybe doesn't exist if you, if you can't have that experience, but it also, um, it also refreshes you because you come home after a day of doing war at the office or whatever. Yeah. Um, and you get to see what goodness looks like because it comes impressed on their souls. Hmm. There's no such thing as, uh, John Locke or the tabula rasa, the blank slate, the, these kids, they come, they do come trailing clouds of glory from, they come from God and, um, they, they're, they have beautiful faces and they have beautiful spirits. And that is refreshing because you forget that when you get to be an adult, you forget what that's like. Yeah. Yeah. I can totally see that. And it, and it, and it doesn't take long before the negative. If, if one of those, major components is missing. It doesn't take long before it sets in mm. and quickly mm. overruns. I mean, I have a lot of friends and maybe you do too that, you know, I like to tease certain people, <laughs> you know, like I like to tease uh, Leo because he likes football. Yeah. And I think it's totally silly. He has it coming. He dishes it out enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. He does. Shout out. <laughs> Shout out to Leo. But even worse than that, because I actually get that because that's a game of strategy and it's a game of, but we have other friends like total nerds that that's how they've actually developed their um, relationships is through video games. So that might be like one plus, 
But I think it's completely childish. And the smartest people who play video games, who are brilliant people that I love dearly, they've yet to convince me that it's a valuable pursuit <laughs> of time. They just haven't. Yeah. They, haven't pers- they haven't convinced me for one second that video games are okay. And I feel like even video games are a part of um, childhood rearing now. Dude. Right? And so it doesn't take long before the technology becomes parent. It doesn't take long before the, the the technology becomes the disciplinarian, which isn't at all. And so how how deep are we into the, the modern struggle that we're in now? I mean, is it at least 100 years? Is it shorter than that? Longer than that? When did these works start getting stripped? Yeah. Um, you know, the field was... Oh, by the way, just real quick, so yeah. Leo doesn't feel picked on. He could probably say the same thing for me watching MMA. So, oh, dude, yeah, we, we all have I mean? our vices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Among other things, I won't even talk about. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm just poking a little bit. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, you know, like I think the the real crisis came in the humanities, at least in American universities. It's different because you know the history of education is pretty storied and pretty troubling. I mean, uh, John Taylor Gatto is a really if if you ever interested in looking up the history of education, there's a fellow named John Taylor Gatto who has written a dozens of books or let me dozen, several books on the topic. He's basically the authority on the history of education. Um, and he talks about education as being essentially a tool for social control, not at all what we think of uh, as education. Um, going all the way back to, the, I think for him, the watershed moment in history is the Napoleonic era uh, when the, uh, the Prussians were so was that late 1700s or? Um, okay, so 1800s? we're talking about, yeah, it'd be the 18th, 1700s, 18th century. Um, okay. Yeah, we're talking about like Napoleon, you know, coming out of the, uh, the French Revolution. I'm not a historian. I have, I'm just guessing. You know, dates dates are something that I have to keep written down uh, because, you know, I have, a, I have a rough timeline, but specific dates are difficult uh, for oh, me. okay. But um, it doesn't matter. Yeah, okay. Really. But uh, so, so. The Prussian school system was okay. So, so Napoleon uh, defeats the Prussians, and they they rethink like what happened. Why is it that our soldiers are thinking for themselves and they're fleeing the battlefield, um, and the other soldiers are so regimented in order and they just do what they're mm. told. They would march right through a river um, if they were told to. Yeah, and um, they, they they arrived on that education has to train kids to respond to cues and drills and to not have. Um, it's like critical thinking actually beat that out of them because we, we want them to do exactly what, what we say they ought to be doing. Yeah. And so John Taylor Gatto says, um, that, that the Prussian school system was designed to create essentially sprockets or widgets that can be plugged in wherever you need them in society. And they're not going to, they're not going to cost too much trouble because they've already been conditioned. And so this is why, you know, the school system operates on bells that are like this Pavlovian thing that says, okay, it's time to stop talking. It's time, time to stop thinking about this subject and move on to the next subject. Um, right. um, and, and why we're, we're conditioned in schools, you know, like schools of fish, we, we move together. We don't really, so, so originally education was, um, uh, from the Latin word educare, which means to lead out education was here is how you discover what it means to be human. Um, but education became at some point, um, 
public school education became at some point regimentation. But but in American universities, like the crisis, the real crisis um, probably began um, in the later part of the 20th century with these uh, deconstructionist uh, critics like uh, Jacques Derrida out here in uh, UC Irvine, um, who began looking at the text as um, something that was impossible to decipher. In other words, the text had no meaning itself. Uh, there, his, like Derrida's assault on literature was that, um, that, that essentially not even the author knows what he means to say. That meaning is something that's constructed and fluid and always changing. And there's no such thing as like an absolute truth. And like, so, so you could read the same text in a multiplicity of ways. And, and it doesn't actually have an official standpoint. Even the, hmm. author, even the author can't say what he means to say. Well, we say that in Christianity, don't we? What, what do you mean? Um, versus, you know, if it could be your own personal growth, but if you read a certain thing, and it could be any book, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be Christianity, mm-hmm. but like any dogmatic stance. Okay. Okay, we've read first something, and it means this when I'm 25. You're like, oh, I reread that at 30, and it's not even close to what I thought it was. Right. Like, is there any value to what he's saying? Um, well, I would say that um, he's suffering from the same delusion that uh, the Protestant church is suffering from. You go back to um, John Milton, who is like at the center of the English literary canon, like center in terms of the time. He's like right there in uh, 1600s. He's like the so it's center temporally, but center of the English canon in the sense that his writing, Paradise Lost, is the highest expression of literature in the English language. John Milton was a uh, devout Protestant, and his view was that, look, we've done away with the church, and we've done away with the monarchy, and this is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Because now, everybody who reads the Bible is going to be reading it for himself. And if he comes up with the new heresy, all that is is a new way of looking at God. Right. Uh, and so, I mean, th- that is essentially the, uh, the Protestant ethos applied to higher education. Just read it and get whatever you want out of it. Yeah. All these paths lead to God anyway. Um, but it, where, where I think I get confused on these things, and I'm not as well-read or nuanced, I guess, is it sounds like you were presenting, if, I'm, if I can just kind of play the sides a little bit, sure. you're presenting that it's bad that you're regimented and don't think for yourself, but then when you think too much for yourself, so that it, it, there are boundaries of what's acceptable. <laughs> Is that right? Well, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, you may, you may have caught me up on that. Um, I, I, there are certain things about which we have to... Um, it's like Bob Dylan says, you got to serve somebody. So if you are a Christian and you're... Well, if you're an Orthodox Christian, you accept Orthodox theology. And there are things that you're not really free to have your own opinion on, mm-hmm. like the Holy Trinity. Like, if you don't believe that the Holy Trinity exists, that's not okay in orthodoxy. Um, now, if you are under the impression that there is no such thing as absolute truth, well, okay, you've just committed a logical error in saying there's no such thing as absolute truth. Because then I can ask you, well, is that statement you just made an absolute truth? Right. Um, but if you, but let's say you want to entertain that position that there's no such thing as one absolute truth and it's just a matter of interpretation. Um Okay, but now that becomes an orthodoxy. That becomes a worldview. Yeah. Now your worldview is that there's no such thing as absolute truth and everything is an interpretation. So you are so just... just loops and loops and yeah, loops. Yeah, you're just, just submitting to a different authority. 
So I'm trying to trying to think about how we plug this into being a man. Okay. With within parameters of adaptation, self-reliance, getting on your feet, but also upholding um upholding the the canon, the truth. And even in the Orthodox Church or I'll just say all churches are all systems of belief, they're canons. The the wiggle room is that what manhood is is the ability to be instructed but also have the wiggle room for each situation that comes your way that maybe didn't come in a different way from someone else like okay yeah okay well does that make sense yeah no it makes perfect sense and i think it's a great way to bring it right back around um okay so if you have the canon you have an ethical standard the canon used to just be common sense the canon will tell you these are things that are good for you as a society and these are things that are going to hurt your society. Okay, going all the way back to Socrates. So that is education and manhood to a certain extent. However, what you're talking about, having a certain amount of wiggle room to make choices, that is also being a man. But that does not come anywhere except from, that does not come from anywhere except faith. You have to leave reason behind. And here's why. Um, there's a, a Danish philosopher uh, from the 1800s named uh, Kierkegaard, uh, Soren Kierkegaard. He's a Danish philosopher and he's a Christian. He, he, he pioneered the, the, um, the philosophical movement existentialism. His view is this. You take, you take somebody from the canon who's a tragic hero, like, um, or even from the Old Testament, the tragic hero, um, uh, like Jephthah, who was, um, he was a judge of Israel, you know, like Samson. Um, he was a judge of Israel, and um, I forget the specifics, but he, he was engaged in a battle, and he had made a promise that if, if the battle was victorious. He would sacrifice his daughter. Um, and so he returns and his daughter comes out to celebrate him. But now he ha- his daughter has to be a, a sacrifice. And this is a tragic story. But but you get it. You understand it. He's what, All he's doing is he's operating within an established uh, field of ethics. Because, yeah. because security guard says if he, if he sacrifices his daughter, it's sad, but everybody understands it. His daughter understands it. His, his, his peers weep for him because it's like, well, that could be me. But he did it for Israel, and um, and even other other fathers' daughters understand why that daughter would submit to him because it, it's a, a, it's within our current ethical framework. So in that there is no freedom of choice, there is no asserting one's manhood or individuality. So Kierkegaard says what's different is faith. Faith is different because you take somebody like Abraham. Now this is a story that's completely reversed. Abraham was known for his faith, right? The works he committed. Um, were ex- were examples of his faith, but look what what Abraham did. Abraham um, had in his son Isaac the promise of of generations. Right, his his generations were supposed to be like um, like innumerable, like the stars in the sky, but they were going to come through his son his his only his son Isaac, Abraham's son Isaac. Right, right. Um, so one day, Abraham's um, the God of Abraham came to Abraham and said, "I need you to sacrifice your son." Okay. Now, ethically, Kierkegaard makes a point. Who, who could you turn to? Can you turn to any, any, any of the ex- existent literary works or any of the frameworks? Is there any ethical circumstance under which it's okay to sacrifice your son? Absolutely not. Right. Even looking at the Jewish law, it's like this guy is supposed to be the descendant. Your, your, your son is going to be the, the future of our people. And so you're gonna, Kierkegaard says you're going to ruin everything if you kill him. Okay, but what does he do? 
He listens to God. There's nobody he can ask for advice. And nobody's going to pity him. If some dude walked up to you and said, you know, you're like, hey, where are you going, bro? And you're like, oh, I'm going to take my son to this mountaintop to sacrifice him. Why? God <laughs> told me to. There's nothing in like the ethical framework provided by any system of ethics that's going to, you're going to be like, no, I'm calling the police. Right. That's right. So Abraham does this. And, um, you know, the, 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 the book of like the psychology, I mean, the book of Genesis is, is beautiful. Um, for they, they don't really even tell you what he's thinking. He's just walking with his son to go sacrifice his son. But me being a father, you being a human being and a man, you can only imagine what's going through his mind. Like this God says, I have to sacrifice this guy and, and, and my, my son. And God's promise was that we're going to have people, but I have to sacrifice him. Like he's following me out of obedience to me, his father, because he loves me and I'm going to kill him. Um, he made this choice to follow God. That was him asserting his manhood, his humanhood. But he was, you know, in this case, he's a man. So uh, as the rest of the narrative goes, or, or the account goes, he takes his son to be sacrificed. And just as he's lifting the knife, preparing to kill his son, um, as a, God offers a substitute. It's, a, it's like a ram, I think, or something. So he sacrifices the ram, and then his son lives. But at any point in that story, there is no ethical system that could account for his behaviors. He's a murderer. Unless, right. unless you have faith, unless you believe in God. And, and this is, uh, so, so this is, this is what I mean when I'm saying in order to be kind of like fully human, it's impossible without faith because no matter what decisions you make, um, if they're ethically sound, even if you're a tragic figure, even if you're a tragic hero, even if you're King Leonidas, you make a decision to die, to accept a suicide mission. Um, well, it makes sense to everybody. Like that's your job as a king, right? Um, that's what's expected of you ethically. You're not really even like you're not being an individual in the sense you're not rising above the ethical standard of humanity. But but to to assert your individuality, um, that's what Abraham did. He went above the above the ethical standard. He was ethical. He went above it, and he risked his name. He risked his posterity. All of that. And nobody was going to be able to. No one's going to mourn him if his son died, and nobody's going to be able to offer him any advice. He had to do that alone. Yeah. And um, so Kierkegaard calls him a knight of faith. Okay, and that's like what we all have to be. If we want to be men, we have to be this. Kierkegaard says there are two knights. There's a knight of faith and the knight of resignation. The knight of resignation is a man who understands that this life is temporary, temporary, um, that it ends in death. And so a knight of resignation is a person who doesn't get too excited about things. He's like uh, the Stoics, which is a, a, a sect of Roman philosophers, the Stoics. Um, my death will come when it does, and when it comes, I'll be ready to leave. And that's really all there is to it. You have to be that. But you also have to be the knight of faith. You also have to, knowing that this life is temporary, and that the actions that we commit here, many of them are futile, and that we're all destined to, for the grave. Knowing all of that, you have to live your life as if that weren't the case. So he says, it's, huh. it's like being a ballet dancer. Because if you ever watch ballet, if you haven't, there are any, any dancer. Ballet dance is made of several different like postures, like a pirouette or um, a degage or a chasse. Just different moves, right? Like different, you would name different moves. Just like, well, just like jujitsu, name different. There are always different moves, right? Right. But when you see like an excellent jujitsu practitioner, um, he's not, okay, I'm going to do the, uh, I'm going to do a hip toss now. And now I'm going to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand here. I'm going to do this other maneuver. I'm going to get you in a leg lock. No, it's, it's fluid. One moves yeah. seamlessly into the next one. And he says, that's how we, Secure Guard says, that's how we have to live our lives as Christians and as men. Um, I mean, he was a man. 
um, uh, we have to live like a dancer. We're the night of resignation. We're the night of faith. But we, we operate these two so seamlessly that you can't even tell the difference. We know we're going to die and everything's futile. Nevertheless, we live with faith because we believe that there is some importance to all of this. <laughs> the other night of faith, and so this is not speaking specifically to manhood because he's talking about the Virgin Mary. The other night of faith um, in uh, problem one of his book, uh, it's his book, um, is it Fear and Loathing? I think it's Fear and Loathing. Um, the other night of faith is the Virgin Mary because she's faced with kind of a similar proposition, right? Ethically, <laughs> think about the ethics of her time. Ethically, what did she look like as a woman who was unwed, um, or at least not known to a man officially to her, her husband, Joseph, but pregnant? What does she look like? Right. right. He tried to put her away secretly because he didn't want to shame her because it looked like, you know, she had done something she shouldn't have done. It looked like she had had sex out of wedlock, perhaps. Um, get, uh, the angel, the archangel comes to her and says, look, I choose you, your hand, you handmaid. And then she says, I'm the handmaid of my Lord or something like that. She, she embraces her, um, calling, but what she does ethically, there's no, she, who are you going to ask for advice? If you're the Virgin Mary. Right. Right. Um, and so, so Kierkegaard closes and is speaking to, 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 you know, um, manhood, education and manhood. Kierkegaard, Kierkegaard closes by saying this. You can't look, he didn't call them saints because he was a Protestant. He was a uh, Lutheran. But um, you, can't, you can't look at these saints and say they were special people because that does violence to them. That does violence to them because, because they weren't special people. They were just like you and me. In, in other words, they made decisions that were contrary to the ethical standard of the time and not in their best interest. And they had all the same dread and anxiety that you and I have. Okay. So yeah. to say that they're different from us, that cheapens it. They weren't, they're the same. They were just like us. And in spite of that, they made the choice of faith. Okay. So yeah. when you're in the presence of saints, you venerate them, but you don't say they're somewhat different from me. Okay. And that, and that is the only way truly to be a human. And the only way truly to be a man is to make this, this leap of faith, because otherwise you're not being an individual. You're living based on the ethics of your society. And even if they're really good ethics, even if they're the ethics that um, the ancient Greeks had, they had a lot of problems, but pretty good ethical system. Um, even if they're those, you're, you're not, you're not living a life of faith. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's interesting. And even just talking about this, if you've never, if you, if, if you can't even read at the high school level to which you have an assigned number, like 10th grade, right. And you know, 12th, there's no way you're going to think like this. Right. It's impossible. Like before I started doing the podcasting, I was trying to see if I had a path in this somewhere. Hmm. And I started just reading. I don't have it with me. I forgot my, my bag, but it's George Washington basically ripped off these maxims from the French <laughs> basically is what it is. It says it in the, in the, the, the introduction to this book. Okay. It's like 110 things. It's rules of civility. Okay. He was 14 years old when he wrote it. 14. <laughs> it's it. Some of it's very practical to the time. Some of it is timeless. Okay. Cause he, but the fact that he even ripped it off at age 14 and published it from people before him shows the deep roots of which education was in that time. I mean, it's very simple things, but to these days, especially in the United States and especially in the United States in this era, it's like, 
oh, someone higher than you is speaking, you're not them. You walk behind them. You know, it's like that kind of thing. They're not you. Right. You haven't earned the place they've earned. And eventually, 14-year-old George Washington did earn that place, right? Right. right. Um, simple uh, etiquette things. Don't blow on your hot soup. Right. Wait for it to do itself. Interesting. Because it, what's what's the rush? What's the hurry? That, there's no explanations to these. So I just read them and get what I get from it. But yeah, like, don't get dressed in front of company. Even if you're not naked, you don't get dressed in front of company. Right. But people do it all the time. Show up to someone's house. Oh, man, I got to go throw on my shirt and do it because they're not fully dressed, expecting the company. Just simple things. That was coming from a 14-year-old. There was a hundred, like 110 of these. Right. Just kind of two sentences, three sentence uh, rules of life. Now, there's no way you're going to be able to get to any of this if we're telling you you're a, a, a 12th grader, a 12th grader. I was 18 years old, the uh, half of my 12th grade year. There's no way I had the foundation for any of these things. Just the, the education was 100% lacking. And then also the shortcomings of the home. Right. To fill in the gaps. Right. It's rough. Yeah, you can't. A, we don't have the depth to even understand these things. No wonder if, if, if you're a kid like in the schools that we work at or say you work at a high school, I don't, but just say the school you work at. Okay. They're trying to get through life the best they can. That's all you can do is the best you can right. in that moment. You might reflect 10 years later and be like, I didn't do the best I could at all. I was terrible. Okay, right. that's, Actually, that's a big step in my opinion of even reflecting yeah, that's a big step. Um, I think it's uh, I think it's Seneca, who's he's a stoic. He says that um, an education begins when you stop blaming other people for your problems. That's where your education really begins. Yeah. So you hand an average 12th grader uh, the Odyssey of Homer. Right. Their head might physically hurt from reading it. Right. It might be so foreign to them. They know they're reading English words, but none of it, there's no, there's no connecting pieces. There's no reference, right? Right, right. So what do we do about this? If, if we want to kind of put, put a, a period at the end of the sentence of, of part one okay. of this, right? what do we do about this? Okay. Because yeah. we have a lot to go through. Right. Which will come in, you know, episodes to come. Okay. But for today... How do we put a period on this? Okay. Well, I think the, the most important things to do with children is teach them. I mean, that may seem obvious, but whether that, if you have the ability to homeschool your kids, that's a good move because they are not being in, in the world in which we live with standardized testing becoming ever important. Kids are not reading complete books on their own ever. Um, and they certainly are not being taught in the sense that they're not discussing these things with adults. So what we have to do, if we want to improve the state of affairs, if we want our, our young people to be reading about things on their own independently, we have to, A, give them time and a place to read. And B, we have to also read these things and engage with them. Okay, I can tell a student 
who has talked to their who talks to their parents regularly, I can tell on the first day if they talk to their parents. Really? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They have a. I mean, aside from all the other benefits of having a relationship with your parents, like having a more positive attitude and all these things, they're comfortable conversing in the language of adults. Hmm. So I would say that's it. I would say engage with the literature yourself. Lead by example, which is the only real way to lead. You know, obviously, the, the things that people say about our times, put down your cell phone, put down Netflix, um, pick up a book, let them see you read, require them to read, and discuss with them about it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I like that. I think that's good. I think that's good practical advice. And that's, that's something I always um, force people who think philosophically to come to a point point. <laughs> and, and it sometimes it it might frustrate people but i don't think outside of boxes very well like i need a uh i need a i need a box to uh, operate within so you know this happens with like john john keith who's been on the show i think twice now yeah john's awesome yeah i'm like okay so right so you're talking about Blah, 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 it just sounds like a foreign language. Okay, so how does it apply to my life? Because I actually have to go to work at 6.30 in the morning and come home and I have to do, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So I like that they're, they're actually intertwined with each other. Like the practical is go read the things that are deep with your family and as a family, discuss, talk. So... For simple people like me, that's the answer. Yeah, and, and, and yeah. Um, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but I mean, like, if you, um, the great books of the Western world are a really great place, really great place to start. You can get a, a set of them for a few hundred dollars on eBay or Amazon, and uh, essentially it is the Western canon beginning with um, Homer all the way up to, I think, Karl Marx is at the very end. Um, and, I mean, it's, uh, I have a friend who's doing this, um, and t- you can read, like, um, there's a reading plan so you can finish the entire thing in seven years, which is quite a time commitment. <laughs> but but if you do that, you'll have the entire what they call the Great Conversation, all the all the important Western thinkers of the past several hundred years. You'll have their conversation, which is ongoing. You'll be able to participate in it. Yeah. So I mean, edu- I mean, it's easier now than ever to get an education. It's just it's just easy, right? You know, because of the internet and all these things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, that's a, that's a, just just kind of like take the plunge. Yeah. Start doing it. So can I can I throw like a little a little something out there that you didn't anticipate? Sure. So can so for the people who insist on you know re- trying to refute Western, can you give us one non-Western valid book in your opinion? Oh, Latsu. Yeah, absolutely. Like the, the Tao. You know, like um, the uh, there, there's a great book by um, I forget the name of the Hiram monk. I think it's a hieromonk who wrote it, but it's uh, called the Tao of Christ. And uh, Lao Tzu is this uh, brilliant philosopher, Confu- like you know, Confucius, um, uh, great philosopher who is in many ways um, approximating what Christ, the message that Christ was going to deliver. It seems so. so yeah. And what what is just a, a short background, just so people understand? Because is that a uh, yeah, I uh, Japanese. No, Chinese? oh, it's Chinese. 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 Yeah, yeah, sorry, okay. you, you caught me a little off guard. Um, I couldn't give you dates or. I tried to do that on purpose. <laughs> yeah. <so>. yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Not, not, not my expertise, but um, but I do follow uh, his Twitter. Oh, <laughs> he has a Twitter. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I do follow his Twitter, and um, 
Um, other other works, uh, important works outside of the Western Canyon. Um, yeah, I wasn't really prepared for that. Uh, I, I, it's not to say that there aren't any. There certainly are. Um, being raised in the West and speaking English only and then Latin kind of like secondarily. Um, I've not. It's what you have? Yeah, it's, it's what I've. Yeah, that's right. It's what I've got. Yeah. Um, so, dang, that's a good question. I need to think about that. <laughs> well, I think one's good enough. And do you, uh, outside of the Western Canada, is there any, do you want people to find you? Or would you rather just... Oh, you know... Um, are you doing something publicly that... Yeah, I'm good. Blog or? I'm, working on a, I'm working on a thesis that is uh, forthcoming. Um, I mean, I have a blog, but it's in pretty poor shape. It's almost like inviting company over before you cleaned up. Kind of like I did today. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so, uh, no, I mean, if, if anybody wants to... Um, wants to reach out uh, to, to, you know, talk to me, I have, I need to get a more professional sounding email, but, uh, but I, should I give out my email? Whatever you're comfortable with. Okay. It's 100%. The repercussions don't fall on me. They fall on you. So, oh yeah. Okay. You know Good point. Mean? Okay. Well, my email is a hamburger harmer at gmail.com. <laughs> you know, like, like hamburger helper, but, but not harming hamburger because <laughs> they're, they're delicious. So it's a hamburger harmer at gmail.com. If uh, anybody, for whatever reason. Awesome. Concern. Dude, yeah. that's super funny. <laughs> I do my best. Yeah. You know what? That I know now I'm like going to be the rambler here, but I heard, um, I heard some youngsters say high key one time and I was like, high key. That sounds like they're making like haiku. Like are yeah, you yeah, misunderstanding, yeah. um, like some, you know, Asian yeah. language or something? Yeah. Yeah. No, like high key means blatantly obvious ah. as opposed to <laughs> low, low key. key. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, that's actually might be one of the few things that I think is actually clever from youngsters because I've never heard of that in my life. It's like, no, high key, this is what's up. You know, the, the whole, uh, you know, riffing on your ramble, the yeah. whole, uh, you know, the whole like lexicon of, um, of like hip hop lingo. I mean, dude, it is so fascinating. You could, you could really like make a study and people have, I'm sure make a study of like, you know, going on Urban Dictionary and looking at what all these words mean. Like it's, it's in very inventive. I think it's the, the analog is to, um, like the Cockney, the Cockney kind of like rhyming slang, uh, in England. Yeah. Because there are all these words that mean something that like the, their meaning is totally unexpected. But then when you know what the meaning is, it's like, Oh, that's pretty clever. That's pretty right. interesting. Yeah. Right. It's interesting. Right. Came with that. And I mean, I know it's all to like, in many cases, they're talking about like hip hop culture, talking about gangster rap or whatever. It's like it's to dodge like authorities, you know. Um, sure. And this, that's the Cockney. Uh, that's how the Cockney accent originated too. Um, so, but it's just fascinating. Yeah, I, that's that's funny. High key. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, um, like to thank you for joining us. We will be continuing this. Um, yeah, dude, it was it was awesome. I had a yeah. lot of fun. Thank you. And then you can uh, check us out. We have Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, I'll start today and you can find us at letsgocast.com with this show let's go comics let's go pop culture show uh, all good stuff I love these guys and um, I recommend you listen to all three of our shows every single time that someone publishes something multiple times all day don't listen <laughs> to anyone else ever so, anyways, uh, we are done for right. this episode. All right. I had a great time. 
So on behalf of Mike and myself, thanks for listening. He will be joining us next time. Check out everything we got going on. And we really appreciate your listenership. Yeah, take care. Take care. See you guys. Thank you.